today's show, we have Shane Keegan. Shane has been coaching for nearly 20 years, predominantly in soccer, and was one of the youngest coaches to be appointed as manager in an Aircom League team, firstly with Wexford Youths, and most recently with Galway United. On this episode, we talk about player development and adapting activities to suit various types of styles of player. We discuss overcoming adversity, not just as a coach, but as a person too, and on the importance of reflective practice as a coach. Loads for coaches to take away on this one. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Shane, thanks a million for coming on. It's great to chat to you. You have a very interesting background in coaching, and I was hoping you could maybe talk us through that journey. Maybe we start with your time with the you were with the Wexford Utes a soccer club that has a fantastic reputation for developing young players. You were there for five years. I was, yeah, um, Stephen. I suppose that that I suppose. It, in terms of League of Ireland football, that's certainly my starting point. But uh, my, my own starting point would have would have come a long, long, long time before that. Um, I'd fall into the bracket of 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 somebody who who realised very young that they uh, seemed to have a a better knack for this coaching crack than they did for actually playing themselves. You know what they say: those who can't do teach. Um, and that was I'm in that bracket myself, Shane. <laughs> so don't worry. Yeah, I'd say. I mean. 18, 19 years of age, I was already managing underage sides within my, my own local club. Um, and as I say, would have been very limited as a player, but as a coach, um, players, young players seemed to respond kind of to what I was trying to do with them. And I started to have quite a bit of success from a, from a young age. Um, so I'd say by 21, I'd pretty much packed in playing soccer altogether to, to kind of fully focus on, on, on the coaching and management side of things. And um, probably took me about six, seven years there, thereabouts to go from, from there up to being fully qualified. I think I had my way for pro licence by the age I was 28. Obviously, you're coaching side by side the whole way up along as you're, you're, you're managing as well. You're trying to do both. You're trying to learn and, and, and do at the same time. Um, I would have been heavily involved with development squads. Um, even though I'm from Leash, our, our own local club would have played in the Kilkenny District League. So I would have been heavily involved with um, development squads in the Kilkenny District League. So I would have had guys like... Sean Maguire recently made his Irish debut. Sean, I would have had Sean for six years. Um, Mikey Drennan, who's who's back on kind of back hitting the heights again. He's he's flying in the League of Ireland for Sligo at the moment, but he would have been probably the, near enough the best player in the country, maybe uh, at at the age of twenty one while, while while playing for Aston Villa. Guys like that, um, really really enjoyed that, and I probably didn't take my first proper senior job. I was doing the local reserve team in the club, all right, when I was kind of player manager at twenty twenty one, but I didn't take my proper high level job I suppose there used to be a third tier in the League of Ireland called the League of Ireland A Championship Okay, and there was a club in that thankfully uh, not to, it wasn't very well publicised League of Ireland A Championship um, and when I went looking at it there was actually a team from Carlo in it FC Carlo um, so I took them at 27 I'd say and that was probably my first proper um, high profile job did quite well there and then as I say that kind of that alerted Mick Mick Wallace down in, in, in Wexford to me and um, went in there and had, had five fantastic years in there. Really enjoyed it, yeah. From my, I don't have a huge knowledge of mm. soccer, but from my limited knowledge, they have a great reputation for producing young, talented players. Was that something that is just ingrained in the culture of the club or is that something that you would have been trying to push on or how does that work down there? I suppose, to be honest, it comes from Mick. It's it's, it's Mick's ethos. Even you look at the name of the club itself, you know, and, and people sometimes look at the club and assume that they actually have to all be kids, whereas uh, they're not. You know, there is free reign there to bring in who you want. But just Mick's ethos himself, he was he's, he was hugely into the youth in Wexford and giving them a chance to, to play at the highest level and that kind of thing. Now, look, when I went in there, he you know, he didn't put any... Um, restraints on what players I was allowed to bring in or 
anything like that. So we had a balance. We we did, as I said, coming from the Kilkenny League, I would have known some of the best players up there. I would have brought a few of them down to Wexford and that kind of gave them a little bit more steel and that. But that then in turn allowed the younger lads, you know, a bit of room to develop a little bit better, learn from those around them. And obviously when the team is stronger, they feel more confident because they're picking up results and they'd struggled a bit for results in previous years. So it gave a pathway for, I suppose, the most high profile one from down there is a young guy called Ryan Delaney. Uh, I watched Ryan play on Tuesday evening for the Irish under-21s in a, in a high-profile qualifier against Germany. Um, he's now a full-time professional over at Rochdale. And I suppose he's he's a shining example of, of, of what Mick was looking to do. Um, obviously, they had massive success early on with Kevin Doyle, even though Kevin never actually played for Wexford Youths in the League of Ireland. He certainly came through the, the setup down there that Mick had had. So he was very, very into the, the idea of giving the young players a chance and... Um, Look, the budget was very small down there as well, which means that really that kind of dictates that you've got to give young players a chance as well, which is, is certainly a good thing for their development. You mentioned player pathways and, and the development of players and stuff like that there. Could you maybe give us some some idea of, of how you go about developing, let's say, these young players are coming through that system and, and how to, they may progress onto that top level? My background is primarily soccer. I would have a, a big GEA interest and probably the best example of, of a guy that overlaps both I suppose the, the reason I actually got into the coaching so much and, and decided to start going on my coaching badges was we had a local player in our club, in Rathowney, um, who showed an awful, awful lot of talent from about 12 years of age, there thereabouts. And he showed a lot of talent, as in I was looking going, surely there can't be better, many players better than this guy in the country. And the timing was very good in that there used to be a saying that the Irish underage teams that the manager of the Irish underage teams didn't have to go past the red cow to pick his team. Um, and that was it. You were either in Dublin or you weren't in Dublin. If you were in Dublin, great. If you weren't in Dublin, you were forgotten about. And thankfully, that's changed massively since kind of around that. That's maybe, what age is he now, 24? That's, that's probably about 12, 13 years ago. It was just about the time that the FEI were starting to implement this player development pathway where, okay, all of a sudden, if you're down the country, you're not just forgotten about. If you're the best player at your club, you go and you play with the county team. If you're one of the best players with the county team, you get called into the into a regional development squad, which was there was maybe about 12 of them around the country catering for three or four counties each. If you're doing really well for the regional development squad, well, then you get called up for national trials. So all of a sudden there was, here's the stepping stone. You go from here to here to here. So before that, Shane, would that have been a case where the really talented guys from down the country would have ended up travelling up to Dublin to play with a club in Dublin. Absolutely. And that still can be the case to a certain extent. Dublin okay. is so strong on, on the football front in the country. That still can happen, but it, you know, it no longer has to happen. I mean, okay. again, jumping back to Sean Maguire, Sean Maguire never went up to a Dublin club. You know, he would have played the whole way up along, down below, down around Kilkenny, and then he would have went as far as Waterford, which, I mean, Kilkenny to Waterford is no distance. Um... Dublin, Cork, you would have got a few out of Cork, all right, but by and large, um, yeah, if you were, certainly if you were from kind of the Midlands and, and counties like this, it was very, very hard to get noticed. You could be a fantastic player, but for word to make its way up, obviously this is before you are able to tweet about how good a fella is or there's YouTube clips of a fella or anything like that, so to get noticed was very, very hard, so there's no doubt the player development pathway has come on in absolute leaps and bounds, and there is, if, if, you're, if you're a talented footballer now, you will make your way all the way to the to, to wherever your 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 talent allows you to, to bring it, which certainly wasn't the case maybe fifteen years ago, you know. Okay, and that's something that the Wexford Youth would have been a serious ethos there, and that's a lot. Of t uh, you, you mentioned already that there'd be a lot of um, emphasis on the youth. Uh, can you give, let's say, anyone listening out there thinking that they're involved with a youth team or something like that? some practical tips to, of how they can do that maybe looking at the longer picture rather than the, the short term gains in terms of the development of the player yeah. yeah like I suppose what I'd say is 
when it comes to, so there's, to my mind, coaching is split into two things. There's coaching the individual and there's coaching the team. So I think the number one thing is, and again, there's two types of coaching. There's the drill and there's communication because just a chat is coaching. A chat with a player is coaching. Um, I think what we do an awful lot is we, we don't actually look at, the first thing that we need to do to improve a player is, well, what are the player's deficits? Has the player ever been told that these are the areas that he needs to improve. I've, I've spoken to players both in, in soccer and in GEA who've gone through a 15-year career without anybody ever actually sitting down with them and saying, well, here's your weaknesses. How the hell is a player meant to improve their weaknesses if they're not fully aware of where their weaknesses are? Um, so I think, you know, doing an audit on the players that you've got and, right, what do they need to get better at? It's certainly the first step. Only then can you, you can do two things. You can talk to them about it. I think... Once they're aware of their their weakness and they can kind of watch other players, maybe you, you might say you're you're not fantastic at this. Can you watch such and such hurling at the weekend? He's very good at it. Might show you how to do it better. So that's coaching before you ever actually throw any cones down on the pitch. Um, but then certainly I think there is a major lack of specific coaching in that. Right, Stephen, your weakness is this. I'm going to throw down a few cones here or I'm going to set up a practice or design that's specifically aimed at making you a little bit better at that. And if you do that in a team environment or in this training session, that'll help you. But now you're aware of it. Now you need, here's something that I've designed for you that you can also do at home with a wall and a hurl and a slitter. And that'll also make you better at it. It's amazing, but it does, like players flow through entire careers without being <laughs> made aware of, of what their weaknesses are. I think I think identifying them for a player and then trying to design practices that help them get better at that particular area, that's coaching to me. That's absolutely, that's what coaching is. That's a really interesting point. Um, so, again, I'm thinking practically here yeah. now, you're dealing with in a team environment and you identify, uh, so I have a weakness, let's say, with my left foot and somebody else has a weakness with something else. How do you cater for all that in a team environment in terms of a training session practically? Because I think that's a big challenge for coaches. How do you deal with, you, you want to work on everything, but you've only a limited yeah. amount of time. So I'd say there's two things in that. Firstly, obviously numbers in terms of the coaching staff. I mean, let's be honest, the coaching staff quite often can be one. And that is your, you are your coaching staff. Um, and in a scenario like that, I think you try to isolate a particular skill. You're saying to yourself, right, there's three, four players in our team at the moment who are lack, aren't where they need to be in terms of that skill. So we're going to work on that. Now, you might be training 16 people. And realistically, what you're specifically working on is specifically aimed at four of those 16 people. But still, everybody is everybody is doing it. And I, I would say it, you know, if we were doing... If we were doing a particular exercise in training, you know, I'd have no problem in saying to a group of 16 lads, lads, there's five or six players who... Um, this is specifically aimed at but the drill requires 16 people <laughs> um, so you're all going to do it but you know it's specifically aimed at this group and tomorrow we'll do something that's aimed at five or six other people so you can't do everything in isolation that said if you can get the manpower I mean at League of Ireland level we would regularly regularly say right I'm going to take these seven or eight over here and I want you to take those seven or eight over there and you do something completely different because what use is practicing how to beat a player in a 1v1 scenario what use is that to our centre-backs? Can you take the centre-backs over there and work on the shape of the back four and stepping out and having a good offside line and that kind of thing? So if you've got the personnel in your management staff, yeah, now you can be a little bit more specific. Otherwise, 
it, there could be 16 people working on a drill that's aimed at perfecting your backline and stepping out. And if that's the case, that's the case. The attackers will still get to attack. They'll still get to do all the other skills that come with it, even though your communication and your focus from that session may be on the depth of your backline and where and when they should press and that kind of thing. And you mentioned there the League of Ireland. So that was my next thing. You are very young, I suppose, in, get, in jumping up with Galway Gal United. Uh, could you maybe talk to, through us maybe some of the experiences there? Yeah, I don't think... Thankfully, I don't think age was was ever really a major problem. Um, I think it was twenty eight or so, and twenty eight when I took my first proper League of Ireland job, say at Wexford. Um, and yeah, I don't. I, I certainly don't think age was ever a problem. I think if all all players want to see is well, what's your training session like? How do you communicate with me? You know, what are you what are you going to do for me? Um, essentially, and I think if you're ticking those boxes, I don't think age really becomes a factor. Um, I think if you let it get inside your own head, maybe that's maybe the only, you know, will these boys listen to me when half of them are, are older than me? Um, but look, they just want to know what can you do and what can you do specifically for them? And if they're coming away from a training session thinking, um, yeah, I enjoyed that first and foremost, because at that level, the, right, yeah, at Galway United, maybe some guys were earning a wage, but at, at Wexford Youths and the levels I was at before that, there was nobody earning a wage. So why are they coming back? They're not going to come back unless they're enjoying it. So you, you have to my mind, you have to take the enjoyment box first or they're not going to keep coming back. Um, but if they're enjoying it and if they feel they're getting better, and look, let's be honest, even in, in a competitive environment, if they're picking up results, um, you know, then they really don't care whether you're 28, 38 or, or, or 58. So I don't think that that was a problem. Just make sure you, you know your stuff and don't allow your, your age to get inside your own head is what I'd say. Big step up then into in terms of standard setup, stuff like that from Wexford into Galway? Um, no, probably not. To be honest with you, I, I, I actually don't think. I, I think coaching is coaching regardless of the level, and I think, um, like when I was managing, when I was managing the Kilkenny under fourteen representative side, our next game was the biggest game on earth, as far as I was concerned, as far as those players were concerned. When you're managing Galway United and you're heading into a big game, that's now the biggest game on earth. I don't think. Um, I don't think that the, the standard really kind of should change the emphasis. I think coaching is coaching. I think you're going to stay doing the same thing. Well, not the same things. Look, you're looking to, to develop it all the time. Um, the players, I, I've used drills at under 13 level. That I've, Drills is a curse word nearly, but you know what <laughs> I mean. I've used practices at under 13 level that I've used with senior teams. Oh, absolutely, right. You might have put a two-touch limit on them or you might have made the playing space smaller so that they've got to make this quicker decisions um, and you might increase the difficulty here and there but there's very very few practices that I would say are age specific I think they can all be uh, adapted very very much to both the age of the player and as you say the standard of the player um, but I don't think I, I don't think you throw everything out the window that you did with Wexford when you arrive at Galway because Galway technically have a higher standard of player Um I think just adapted and modified a small bit, make a little bit more challenging, and on you go again. I think that's a really good point. Uh, uh, you see a lot of novice coaches. I think, in particular, when they're starting out, they train a team the way that they trained or were trained themselves. So that's fine if it's if they were a senior player and they're training a senior team. But when they're doing going out with the under eights, it's maybe not as practical. Can you give us some maybe practical tips or examples of of how you'd adapt a game for maybe for maybe a coach who's listening who's with a under 12 or 13 team but maybe wants to try and adapt games or maybe progress them on yeah I think 
by an awful lot so obviously there's two approaches you can take is the dimensions I think and and the uh, the rules within it so as I say you know putting restraints on it to make it a little bit more difficult I mean you'll do that within your own within one particular practice anyway we we trained last night and we started a practice and initially there was no limit on touches and we did it for 10 minutes and then we brought in a two touch limit and we did it for another 10 minutes and then at the end we brought in another rule where where the the receiving guy at the end of the drill only had one touch to bounce it back out um so i mean you'll do that within your own drill and again that's that so that's how you do it as well so like the air, the space we were using last night for this particular possession drill, um, it was four v four with four bouncers, and the dimensions we were using were twenty by twenty. Now, if I was doing that with a group of thirteen-year-olds, you would definitely look to do it thirty by thirty rather than twenty by twenty, roughly in my head. Um, and I don't, they'd want to be a very talented young group to be able to probably to do that drill within two touches. So I, I don't think you would ever modify it as far as taking it down to a two-touch approach. But that's all. Everything else, I stopped that drill last night to talk about opening their body out to make sure they could see the whole picture. I talked, stopped that drill last night to talk about their decision making. Um, I talked, I stopped it last night to to talk about how the player feeding the ball in wasn't giving any information to the player who was receiving the ball in terms of the amount of space they had. I would do all of that last night with a group of adults. You would, they're the exact same coaching points that I'd probably find myself trying to hammer home with a group of thirteen-year-olds. So you know, I think again. 80% of it is, is remains the same. Yeah, again, that's really valid because I think some people try to overcomplicate things a lot, whereas you just described the same equipment, the same space, more or less, and the same amount of people, and you've given like three or four different variations of the game, and I think that's that's a key message that people can take from it. Um, you were with Go United, and you obviously you were coaching the team. But you also did a lot of work with clubs and stuff like that, surrounding clubs. Could you maybe talk us through some of that? Yeah, look, I suppose from from day one, um, when I when I initially agreed to take on the job, they were kind of saying that they needed somebody that they could, yeah, was going to be the first team manager, but was also going to be a little bit more of a figurehead of the the club within the community. Um, and look, it ticked an awful lot of boxes, Stephen. To be honest, you're getting out there. Firstly, you're meeting some very very nice people when you're out there, but you're getting to do a bit of coaching. Sometimes I was working with clubs first teams sometimes I was working with the underage teams but you're building relationships with the local clubs I mean it can't all be a one way street listen we want you to turn up on a Friday night and, and shout for Galway United by being out there one you were they were seeing your face you were maybe building a little bit of an affiliation we were bringing um, a, quite a large sign that we asked every club to put up where it listed off all our home fixtures for the season. Again, you just turn up with that board and hand it to them. It's likely to go into the back of the clubhouse, you know, hidden behind the flagpoles or something like that. Whereas if you're arriving out, you're putting on an hour and a half session, you're kind of building a bit of a um, a bit of a bond with some of the players and that kind of thing. Now when you hand them that, that board, they're likely to put it up for you somewhere prominent, you know. So, you know, there's a practical side to it as well. But just building those kind of that network between the the League of Ireland club and the local clubs that's missing at, you know all around the country that that can be missing it really really can and I think clubs need to do more to try and and, and create those networks so it's like trying to create like a community around the club if that makes sense yeah most exactly particularly in a in a in a county like Galway where you've got a, a widespread county or very widespread county um and you've got a real I mean I think they're you know they've got one of the biggest leagues in the country in terms of strength and depth of divisions and all that so there's there's a huge huge soccer playing population in Galway and yet you know you might get four or five hundred of them in on a on a Friday night why was that it's because they, they didn't see Galway United Football Club as as part of 
Galway soccer really to be honest with you so they didn't um, so I was just trying to build those relationships and I think it did work to, to a certain extent definitely Yeah that's great I think it's a, it's a model that other, other clubs can maybe follow um, you've, uh, you've since parted ways with Galway um, I, I'm sort of interested in I suppose no one ever asked the coach afterwards like how do you deal with that sort of stuff how do you deal with that adversity of maybe well it didn't go all go exactly to plan how do you do you reflect? Do you move on? That sort of thing. How do you, how do you move on from that? Yeah, it is it is tough. I suppose the one thing I'd say about it is if you're going into football management at a professional level, um, you're going in with your eyes wide open. If you're not, you've been very very silly. I mean, there there is only one inevitability in in, in professional football management, and that's that you get sacked. Like it 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 just does not right. Maybe Pep is about the only man that I know who hasn't yet got sacked and may manage to go his whole career without getting sacked. But I mean, Sam Mirren sacked Alex Ferguson. You know this. You know you get sacked. That's what happens. It's not a, a continuous upward trajectory. You you get sacked and you maybe have to drop down a level again before kind of shooting up in the right direction again. Hopefully. Stephen Kenny, obviously, is is this country's most successful manager at the moment. That's for sure. And I mean, he's got sacked, you know, three or four times in his career so far. So he has. And I've, you know, I've said before when chatting, he, he was a guy who picked up the phone and, and rang me after it happened and just says, "Look, Shane, here's the crack." And you know, this is these are kind of some of the emotions I felt when it came about. And he made a very good point of because you're so focused on yourself, you think you're you're. Uh, you think your reputation is probably in tatters, he says, and he says, trust me, nobody probably thinks uh, as badly of you as you think of yourself at the moment, kind of a thing, you know, things like that. So you get over it very, very quickly. Uh, to be honest with you, Stephen, the bit that probably from the outside people aren't looking at and media aren't looking at and all that is the biggest challenge is family. Um, so I would have been conscious, I suppose, of making Roisin, when we were going through a, a, a difficult enough patch, I would have kind of flagged it to her and I maybe would have said, you know, there is a chance if result doesn't go our way Friday night that I may be called in for a meeting. So that it never becomes a massive shock. As Where did that come out of <laughs> kind of a thing? You're constantly kind of drip feeding bits of information that this could happen. This could potentially happen. Um, and if it does happen, you know, you've got probably, in, again, an impression, in a professional environment, you've got to be quite clever from day one and make sure that you do kind of try and hammer down a watertight contract agreement and all that kind of thing so that when that inevitably does come, because... Again, it's it's a you know it's it's a hard and fast rule. Unfortunately, that the day you're sitting down to negotiate your contract, what your contract is is you're negotiating what happens the day you sack me. That's what a contract negotiation is. What happens the day you sack me? Because that day will come, and we need to have an agreement in place as to what will happen that day. And if you've got that tied down reasonably well, and if you're dealing with a proper club who who go about doing their business quite well, you should be able to create a situation where at least financially, maybe you've got a little bit of breathing space after that day eventually comes that you're able to to not have to jump straight back into the first thing that comes around, that you're able to have a bit of a look around and see what's out there for you. And thankfully, that's been the situation in terms of, of my partner with Galway. They were very, very good to deal with and that. So look, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen has just happened to me and I'm still standing and, you know, there's no major, major issues, so there's not. And you're already probably licking your lips and saying, right, let's go again, you know. You make it sound like it's a rite of passage getting sacked <laughs> in, in, in coaching. Yeah, well, it is. It is. It certainly is. As I say, there's there's almost nobody that 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 goes through it without it happening. It's just, look, in most careers, let's be honest, certainly in playing career as well, it's, it's minuscule the amount of people who have a continuously upward journey. Um, you're you're travelling in the right direction. I'm absolutely blessed to have had uh, what did I count it as six six and a half consecutive seasons in League of Ireland management. 
Um, at the time that, that I parted ways with Galway, there was only one manager in the league who had been consecutively managing across the 20 clubs longer than I had. So I got a fantastic run at it before, for, before getting, my first, getting the bullet for the first time. Um, and look, I hope it will only be the first time. With a bit of luck, I might get sacked three or four more times <laughs> over the next 30, 40 years, you know? Okay, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a fantastic outlook to have on it, though. Uh, I don't know if I'd be, if I'd be quite as uh, cheery as you on it. Um, I want to change tack a little bit. Um, you mentioned earlier about you had your UEFA pro license very early and that you've got your badges and stuff like that. I want to touch on education because I know you went back to UCD to do the Masters in Coaching and Exercise Science. I find it very uh, admirable that you did that as well as still working full-time in coaching because I know it's a tough course and it's, it's obviously a lot of time demands. Could you maybe talk through different learnings you might have got from this because I know there's a perception out there that there's an academic and then there's practical and the two don't mix so maybe some learnings that you would have got and how you would have applied them yeah look I think it's it, it it's absolutely brilliant position to be in where like there were one or two occasions I suppose particularly sports psychology module um with James and and the sports coaching module with James where you were actually learning something new on a th- on a Thursday night and potentially implementing that the following morning um that's how quickly you're you're because so so often like I'd be big into going to different courses and and going to different events and all of that kind of thing and you know somebody says something and you go oh yeah he's he's absolutely on the money there and you t- you do take it in you do absorb it but the opportunity to put it into practice mightn't come within the next two three months and all of a sudden it's gone out of your head and you've forgotten about it if you're doing while learning at the same time chances are um the turnaround time on when you can actually implement that nugget as i call them that nugget that you're after picking up chances are you're probably going to be able to implement that very very quickly um so i i think the huge pro of of doing both is how quickly you 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 can put what you've 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 learned into practice. Yeah, there's downsides to it. Time management is a a serious problem. Um, again, I'll come back to 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 family as well. So you know, essentially, you're you're trying to um you're trying to juggle three balls. You're trying to juggle your your family life with your work commitments. Work being full time management at the time, um, with your educational commitments. Um, there are people who won't work in sport in full time and I know a few people who were right the three balls they, they might not have had family but the three balls they were trying to juggle was a full time job away from sport and involvement in sport and uh, education so it, it, it can be very very difficult and it's different scenarios for different people and I, I'm not really the best man in the world to be talking about time management because I, I probably didn't handle it all that well I mean it, I'd been out of I, I'd been out of college I'd been out of the education bubble since I was 20 um i went back to college at at 34 um and it was it was a a rude awakening for me um and thankfully a few uh a few good um colleagues in college and a few understanding lectures is is probably what managed to 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 help me get through it it's tough um absolutely worth doing absolutely worth doing but i you know i think it'd be wrong just to highlight the positives you do have to realize how much of a challenge it's going to be so that you don't kind of back down from it as soon as you meet the first bit of adversity because you, you will have lots of challenges trying to juggle it all you mentioned uh lectures with seamus and james i know you're talking about seamus kelly and james matthews there and you mentioned that you might be able to learn something on a thursday or a friday and you'd implement it straight away on a saturday i'm gonna to have to ask you for some examples here now uh, some practical tips that people could take yeah definitely um i mean with seamus 
it was very much I suppose two things I would have taken most from from the stuff with Seamus is one was I probably wouldn't have been fantastic at at reflection um and I think we we you know it was something that was a huge part of 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 Seamus's stuff so it was and okay it you you go you do your session you know coming out of it whether you were happy with the session or whether you weren't happy with the session but actually writing it down and strategically going about well what did happen in that session that made it so good or what did happen in that session that, that let it get away from me a little bit and and writing that down it, it just makes it all the more real I mean the chances of you not making the same mistake again I think go up tenfold just because you've wrote it down on a piece of paper as opposed to maybe what I was doing Stephen was driving home in the car after the session and thinking about it in my head but actually sitting down and having a process where you're writing down okay that I can see why that went wrong there and again, what went wrong could be the dimensions, so it could be something physical, or it could be the way you explained it. So it could be communication, you know, it could be how you ran the session, or it could be how you communicated through the session. And as I say, when you write that down, you know, you'll find that the next time you do do that, it will stick in your head, oh yeah, the last time I did this, you know, that broke down for such and such a reason. Okay, so talk us through that process, because I think that's a hugely valuable tool. So... You do a session, you plan out your session, you do it, you then write down what went well, what didn't go so well, then you use that to plan your next session? I don't even know if, if yeah, I suppose ideally there would certainly have been occasions where I would have said, right, I, I did this session a month ago, let me flick back to my notes where I looked at where I did that session and I can actually read it back. But I don't think you even need to go that far. I actually think once you've wrote it down, um, when you go about doing that the next time, it will have stuck in your head exactly the reasons why it it, it went poorly or why it went well. Um, I don't think you actually technically have to go back and, and start flicking back through your notes. I just think making the note implants it in, in your head an awful lot more so it does. Um, the other huge thing with, with, with Seamus, I suppose, was our, we were really taught to focus on, on our communication. Um, what way we were speaking to people, how we were getting the message through. Again, are you assessing your communication? You know, are you are you thinking about what you said and whether it got through or are you just saying it and it's out of your mouth and, and that's it, you don't think about it a second time? Um, and I, I think definitely I, I, I would hope that my ability to express what I wanted from the team, from an individual, um, got quite a lot better from, again, just thinking about it. <laughs> he, t- he gets it you know that 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 module got you to think about what you were doing whereas you were just doing now you were thinking about what you were doing um it, it definitely helped me improve my communication i would like to think you mentioned james james matches would have done an awful lot on terms of the sports psychology and skill acquisition in terms of the sports psychology would you have brought much of that into your coaching in terms of mental preparation for teams and stuff like that yeah we would um and again i suppose what would have been the biggest takeaway I would have got from it would have been uh, moments of adversity um, and how to help individuals deal with moments of adversity. Um, we had a very tough season last year where in the end, unfortunately, we, we were relegated. This sounds like a ridiculous statement, but it it, it was an incredibly enjoyable season. Um, being in such a tough environment where... You know, we weren't picking up some of the results that we wanted to pick up and we were fighting a relegation battle from almost from the first moment of the, of the season. I don't know would I have been able to handle the whole thing as well um, as I 
think I did. Um, if I hadn't done that module, that's that's been straightforward. You know, we did an awful lot of talk in that module about how to handle adversity, both in terms of of you yourself, um, in terms of the individual player, in terms of of the the team, um, and we. As I say, it might sound like I'm contradicting myself because we did actually go down, but that group of players we had last year, they actually handled that environment superbly well, superbly well. Um, And in fact, to be honest with you, if our last third of the season, if our first third of the season had been anything close to our last third of the season, you would imagine in a situation like that, you know, under that kind of pressure, that performance would deteriorate. Last third of the season, we were actually fantastic. We were really fantastic and we were very unfortunate that clubs around us also picked up points. But... The boys handled the adversity of that situation superbly well. Yes, they still went down, right, fair enough. And, you know, as I say, if you want to dismiss what I'm saying based on that, fair enough. But being in that dressing room and dealing with those players, um, you'd have one-on-one chats with them. You'd pull them in for a big group chat. And a vast, vast majority of what I was saying to the players in those situations was stuff that had had. had almost pretty much come straight from the, the course and straight from James's mouth. Um, so it was it was invaluable to me. It certainly was. And could you maybe give some simple things that coaches listening could maybe implement themselves? Is there anything small, simple that you could recommend? I think certainly in, in the group chat, when when you're on a, in a, a vulnerable position, um, highlighting the positives and, and being very specific with the positives um, we'd been in group chats where where you're sitting down and you're 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 saying, "Yep, yeah, we are where we are." But are you a lesser player now than you were three, four months ago? And specifically talking about maybe one or two things that they've done recently, and that that trying to get that confidence level back up, um, getting players to appreciate each other. Because what happens is, Stephen, at the start of a season, lads come in pre-season, everybody's getting a run, everybody's you know you haven't been left out of the team yet. Um, Everybody's good. Everybody gets on really, really well. And unfortunately, when results aren't going your way and when your backs are to the wall, it's human nature that factions, not not so much factions, but whereas I thought you were a great fella in week one, Stephen, you know, after a couple of defeats on the bounce, I probably don't think as highly of, of you. And it's trying to get players to understand, no, he is the same fella. He is the same fella that you thought brilliantly of in, in, in week one. And he still has the same strengths. And... You need to think of him that way because you need him to think of you that way. If if you were thinking of him like that, well, then there's chances are he might be thinking of you like that. And just getting fellas to to look at each other and and try and make sure that that bond remains there by making sure that they do still see each other's qualities, as they, particularly in a time of adversity. You know, uh, that's really good. I think the point you make there because you mentioned that earlier on, as in the chat is nearly the coaching like right at the start of the to- of our chat today that in that chat you're getting the coaching so being able to get that across to players in terms of how to deal with that adversity I think is a really useful tool we have a few questions that we ask everyone who comes on yeah. alright so the first one is what's the term successful coach mean to you? I think it has to be uh, this might sound a bit fluffy but I, I do think it has to be the, the, the impact that you leave on on individuals um, I think it certainly does I mean if you're going to judge successful coaching based on on trophies I mean how many people get to win trophies you know it's 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 and everybody's starting from a different starting point you know would would you know in her from a hurling perspective at the moment you look at the job Paul Kinnerk did this year he's done an absolutely fantastic job he's done an absolutely fantastic job in a good few of the last few years if if he was in with my county if he was in with with with, with county leash he'd be the same coach 
doing as good a job, a phenomenal coach that people around Leash would probably speak very highly of. But chances are there mightn't be too many people outside Leash ever heard of him. <laughs> and he's certainly not going to win in All-Ireland. But he will still be a fantastically successful coach at Leash as he has been at, at Limerick. So I think it has to be the, the impact you, you, you have on players. And look again from my own point of view, you know, I would have grown... 10 foot tall when I saw Sean Maguire come on in the Aviva Stadium to make his his, his Irish debut um, that makes me feel like a successful coach getting relegated last year and seeing four of my players from that season sign for League of Ireland clubs who are about to compete in Europe the following season they must have been doing something right they weren't at that level before they came into me or else they would have already been playing for a club in Europe Therefore, I must have been doing something right. Even in a season that went as badly overall as it did, I must have been doing something right. And that that makes me feel successful, if successful is the, the right word in a scenario like that. So I think it's it's the impact you have on on, on the individuals that are, that are involved with you. Okay, that's, that's, that's a great answer. Um, the best book, resource or podcast, anything like that, you can't say this that would uh, <laughs> recommend, you'd recommend the coaches <laughs> listening? Um, yeah, I spend an an absolutely enormous amount of time in the car um so i do driving around the place so i've I've got all the the audiobooks and all the podcasts and all that but without be, I, I don't think you can be too specific I, I i you're probably looking for a particular but i, I just have to, just the internet the internet as in i was saying to you about deficits what's a player's deficit if like if if the session again just come back last night's session so we were working on on awareness right player awareness um just go onto the internet and just type into the search bar drills to improve player awareness and they'll pop up for you. <laughs> they'll pop up for you instantly. There's there's nothing that you can't get. Decide what you need, type it into a search bar, 10, 15 minutes of, of, of floating around there and you'll have two or three ideas and they mightn't be exactly what you need but you'll be able to adapt them to what you need. I don't think, I think people are going looking for, for, for stuff from books right, left and centre and, and, and trying to get this and trying to get that. Just just type it into your Google search bar. It'll come up for you. So it will, you know. Last question. What are your top tips for developing coaches? Reflection. We've spoken about already. I think it's it's made a massive difference to me. Um, I mean, you talk about fellas who have 30, 40 years experience. If they didn't do reflection after their sessions, then they don't have 30, 40 years experience. I don't think really because you're only learning when you're reflecting on it. Um, the other huge one I'd, I'd give particularly to those starting out is um, I read a book recently when Fabio Capello had a quote in it saying that uh, you might have heard it before I'd say that, that uh, the world's best coaches are the world's best thieves um, I think that rings 100% true go and watch sessions go and watch sessions write down what other coaches are doing and don't be snobby about what sessions you're watching either <laughs> um, some of the best sessions I've picked up have been from watching a a, a, a fella coaching the under 13s at his local club where he had very little talent to work with um, go and watch sessions steal steal other people's sessions steal other people's ideas doesn't even have to be your own sport go and watch another sport because well two things can happen when you go and watch another sport you're still going to watch how the coach communicates so you're going to learn from how he communicates does he when he's given in when he's given improvements, does he do it where he stops the session and talks to the team as a group does he allow the session to continue and talk to an individual specifically about something you know there's various different ways of, of communicating and they apply across you know me watching you coach a hurling team or a Gaelic football team I'll be able to watch how you communicate and I'll be able to apply that back to soccer and to be honest with you I've, 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 I've watched a couple of hurling drills where I literally as I was watching I thought 
if I take the slitter out of that and replace it with a, a, a soccer ball, a football, that drill will run exactly the same from a soccer perspective, football perspective, as it would do from from a hurling one. Um, so yeah, be be a thief. Go and watch sessions and 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 steal everybody else's ideas as as much as you can. Do I would say what I'm saying. Don't be snobby. I would say, do try and get in and watch the elite when you can as well. Um, there is no doubt you can you can definitely get some fantastic ideas and and it's amazing. Coaches tend to want to share. Um, so don't be shy about watching. Or don't be shy about asking a, a coach at, at at your county or or wherever. Um, talking to a fellow the other day who told me that he'd, he'd just spent a week in with, with um, Stuart Lancaster watching the, the Leinster um, rugby setup, and I said you know geez, fair play to you how, how did you manage that he said he'd met him at a take that concert went up and introduced himself to him and told him who he was and told him he was bad into coaching is there any chance he could come and watch him and I think two weeks later he was in watching a full Leinster training sessions getting full access to the whole the whole lot you know be bold be, be bold go up and you know chance your arm it's amazing what people will let you in to see if you ask them you know so your top tip to coaches is go to take that concert is that it <laughs> yeah? are, that's it <laughs> look Shane it's been been brilliant having you on um, I've learned a huge amount from even just chatting there I think there's so many key messages for coaches that they can take from today in terms of you have to take the box of enjoyment first, the mental preparation and dealing with adversity. And I think what's the biggest thing that comes across to me is that your outlook on coaching is so refreshing. You're, you're so optimistic and, and positive about it, even after dealing with some adversity. And I think uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I wish you all the best of luck in the future and whatever you. you end up doing. And thanks very much for coming on. Cheers. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Bubble. I hope you learned something that can help your own coaching in some way. Anything referenced on the show, like books or podcasts, if you follow our Twitter page, at Bubble Coaching, we'll put everything up there. You can find us on SoundCloud. We'd love some feedback, so feel free to leave a comment or a review. Once again, the show is brought to you by the Coach Education and Development Centre of the Camogie Association. Thanks for listening. Till next time.